It's about, for me, understanding how the different sounds and the acoustic soundscapes and the environment reflect and contribute to, or not, to social inequalities, cultural diversity, and of course, inclusion. Welcome to Struggles in the City, the podcast to understand power relations in cities. I'm Melodine Somier. I'm working as an academy research fellow at the University of Jyväskylä in Finland. And our guest today is Jesid Ortega from Queen's University Belfast. Welcome, Yesid. In today's episode, we're going to talk about soundscapes in cities. Yesid will share with us insight from his ongoing research project about soundscapes of the diverse city, where diversity is spelled diverse C-I-T-Y, mapping the sounds, images, voices, languages, and cultures of the cities. And you're doing fieldwork uh, in London, Belfast, and Oslo. So a lot to share with us, I think. Um, But before we get started about the project, maybe it's nice to understand how you actually got there, uh, because your background is more about social justice and language education. So can you tell us how you got to working on soundscapes of the diversity? Yes, first of all, I would like to thank you, Melody, for the invitation to this podcast. Is uh, uh, I'm glad that um, this we are having these conversations, um, and yes, and thank you for the questions as well. I guess perhaps uh, I want to step back a little bit from the que- from the questions to let the audience know where I'm coming from and why I came up with this idea, so everybody knows. So a little bit of the background is um, I have always liked sound and sound recordings for a long time probably when i was a child i used to carry a cassette tape recorder and going to the streets in my neighborhood in bogota in colombia and recording the sounds of the cars the people dogs rivers uh, people in the market etc and we'll we'll and i will go back home and uh, use the cassette tape recorders to just listen as as you know as soundscapes and enjoy myself and sort of get myself back into that moment in which i did the recording so i've been doing this for a while like a sense since i was a child and then when i was a teenager i continued doing these things and now when i became an adult then i changed the cassette tape recorder with a small uh, audio recorder that would record in mp3 and, and i would do this just for fun and down the road i got a little bit more technical i guess so then i opened my my soundcloud account online and i started putting those digital recordings online to share with friends and and people would uh, reply to me oh i really like this place etc etc and then one started traveling the united states and then canada and then in different Uh, countries and cities around the world, I continue my recording. And then I created a new account on Bandcamp where I recorded, uh, well, I w- where I put all these recordings online and I call them sort of uh, soundscapes, uh, field recordings, Jesid Ortega's field recordings. And then I leave them there for a while and for a, a, just for personal pleasure i guess and but i always been fascinated with sounds and throughout my life i've been fascinated about this idea of the sounds and the languages that i hear but also how the cultures um, sort of intersect with that and that intersection of soundscapes what what got me attracted when i came here to queen's university belfast i wanted to explore 
research a little bit more. And because I was coming, as you mentioned earlier, with this idea of social justice, my background has always been under the umbrella of social justice education and how uh, teachers and researchers do social justice or enact social justice in the classroom. When I came to Belfast, I was like, how can I combine these two things that I'm passionate about, which is social justice, but also my personal uh, passion for recording sounds. And as you can imagine, the intersection of uh, this idea of soundscapes and social justice, it's about, for me, understanding how the different sounds and the acoustic soundscapes and the environment reflect and contribute to or not to social inequalities, cultural diversity, and of course, inclusion in different ways. For example, cultural inclusivity, representation, gentrification and displacement, for example, access to public spaces and the power dynamics. What are the languages that you hear the most? What are the languages that you hear the less as well? And for me, by exploring these soundscapes that I record, my research project has always have the idea of exploring the potential of unveiling those layers of those social dynamic, but also cultural richness and inequalities with the urban environments and sort of, in a sense, contributing to the valuable insights to discussions on social justice and community well-being as well. So in the end, soundscapes uh, are when we hear a sound and music, for example, creates this atmosphere of um, of being engaged with the cultures at the same times as well, the sounds and the noises, the musical instruments, etc. So all of these are under the same spectrum, so to speak. And in a sense, it sounds like, like it leverages the playing field for everybody. And from a social justice perspective, for me, I learned that uh, we all share the same spaces. That's really interesting to well to see like the kind of personal journey that you have through that project, but also actually how it really deeply connects to this idea of social justice. I think it was really interesting to see how it's not just what we hear, but for instance, also this idea of what is missing, right? Like which languages do we not hear, for instance, and which do we hear most or and where do we hear them probably? Um, um, I think it's hard to think of soundscapes without thinking of visual scapes as well. Um, do you look at them at all or how do you go about it now? Are you leaving the visual aspects completely out? No, actually, one of the things that I, that, that's a good question, because one of the things that I noticed by doing this work, I started with sound. I say, I'm just going to record sound and walk, 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 walk the streets and, and, and see what sounds I can get. So it started like that. Right. Um, but little by little, as after I was just experiencing, as I was walking by, I realized that the visuals, meaning what I was seeing was connected with what I was hearing. And some folks out there obviously call this visual scape. And unfortunately, it's not widely recognized, similar to soundscapes as a recognized and standard term, similar to other ones. But if I were to extrapolate from the concept of a soundscape, a visual scape could refer to that overall visual environment and perception of particular locations that I would experience, like the natural features of a building or the architectures of different signage, uh, uh, public art, graffiti, you know, street art, uh, signs on menus, signs on posters, etc. All of these visual elements are interconnected 
Uh, and in a broader sense, some more discussions uh, about visual scapes can involve also the analysis of those visual uh, cues or symbols that are in relation to the sounds. So just to give you a quick example, and later I probably could elaborate, one, in one of my walks or sound walks, I was walking and I could hear a lot of commotion. So I was approaching, 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 and I noticed this was a protest and, and, and a protest against the Iranian government. This was a, a, a few months back. And as I was approaching, I was hearing different language, Arabic and Persian and English and why not? And I was saying, okay, so these sounds are in relation to solidarity, in relation to how the city becomes this space for solidarity. And then I walk a few blocks later, you know, down the road, and I noticed there were some posters of uh, in, in Persian and Arabic and in English. And then I took photos of these posters and I say, okay, now I can see that these are connected to the sounds that I was recording about um, the protest. So then that's when I realized to answer your question, yes, I didn't expect it to find this. I was in my mind, it was, I'm just going to record the sounds. But I, through the process of my research, I encountered more the relationship between the, the sound, but also the visual aspects and other aspects that I want to give you details in a moment as we evolve in this conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a very interesting example. And I like that it was like kind of a surprise as well. I can imagine that a lot of the work you're doing when you're in the field are things that also surprise you or that you didn't expect, as is often the case with ethnographic um, work. Um, when I was reading about your project, you were mentioning that one of the aims is to uh, theorize how languages and cultures intersect and how they are not static symbols. That's something you've already touched upon when you were introducing the project. But do you want to maybe tell us a bit more? I mean, I guess what I'm interested in is there are many ways of looking at culture and language not being static and intersecting. So maybe what is the soundscape approach uh, specifically giving you, right? Yeah, you know, like, it's a very interesting thing because recording the soundscapes captures of nuances of all languages at once, so you can hear English and uh, its local versions of Northern Ireland, for example, variation, but a lot of those languages from immigrants, refugees, such as Arabic, Urdu, Punjabi, Bangla, etc., and the languages of the tourists, uh, French, Italian, Spanish, German, etc. And in a sense, when I walk, I discover all of these nuances. And as I walk, is I imagine this is a symbolic representation of fluidity, that not everything is static or, or, or isolated or separated. You would imagine that, that these are not, but the sounds as you're here, you, you, and maybe some of uh, your all the people in your audience have faced this in the different places where they live. It's like not separated. When you go in the train, when you go in the bus, in the streets, you can hear all the languages intersecting. And for me, that's what, that's what I, that's what I talk about that idea of intersection that is not either or. Right, like visual visual scapes and multimodality, for example, help us understand that intersection in terms of different ways of communicating, different ways of understanding who the other is. So, little by little, through this research, I've been understanding that that we are not isolated beings, but we are mainly in relation to the others. Mm, yeah, and of course, um, you talk a lot about languages, which makes perfect sense because we are talking about soundscape. But are there other 
like when, if we think of culture, there are many dimensions that we could associate with it, uh, nationality or religion or uh, even gender and, and so on. So do you mostly focus on the language aspect when you look at the soundscapes or do you integrate more dimensions? How yeah. do you go about that? No, thank you. I love this question because that's probably the, the centerpiece of what I'm doing right now and moving forward. I am paying attention to the sounds, but also the visual representations of culture in relation to language or languages and how these are represented in the city. And because this is an ongoing project, yes, uh, from an intersectional point of view, other dimensions have emerged, such as, as you mentioned, religion, So imagine the Christian preacher in the streets, you know, talking about the Bible and how we're going to die if we don't follow the Bible. And I think you have seen this preacher in every single city. There is the, the, the Christian preacher and sometimes there are Christians singing as well. Uh, so you notice that connection with religion as well. And those are Christi uh, crystal clear representations of religion. And I think it was both in Oslo and Helsinki that I went there and there were a, a little spot in which there were the Christian on one corner and then the Islam, the Muslims on the other. And like, like, like they were not fighting to each other. They were just expressing themselves. And I realized, see how the city is becoming this sentient being that represents and uh, like like allows for everybody to be who you are in this particular thing of religion right and um for example as visually the women seeing women wearing the hijabs also in the streets or the sounds of the current protest of, of palestine in the streets also represents uh, that idea of intersections of ethnicity nationality race gender as well the pride parade for example then the sounds that you hear in the pride parade is about representation of different forms of gender as well and the many sounds and the many musics around the world in the in the market you know if if some of your audience go to different markets in the city christmas markets and why not you always hear the sounds from different parts of the world um, you know there are bands that are playing their own music as well and this represents that intersectional dimension as you mentioned so again we move in a way that i started with i just want to pay attention to the language but i realized that i cannot only just pay attention to the language or languages because all of these things are interconnected. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like how you kind of suggested that the, the project is happening to you as well, right? I kind of like that when it happens in, in research. Um, and somehow that makes me think of once when we were talking about your project, you were mentioning also those uncertainties, uncertainties about things that you couldn't identify. And I'm thinking versus about the languages again. Um, now you were mentioning those examples that were really clearly identifiable. But what do you do with things that you can't put a label on? If you don't recognize a language, for instance, or, you know, you don't know what people are saying, so you can't connect it to, for instance, the forms of religion or anything like that. What do you do about those things that you can't, can't make sense of because you don't know everything? Yeah, no, that's, a, and this is a very, I always like to give an example to this. Um, I'll tell you an, a, a clear example of the data that I collected, but also how I went about in the in the in the data analysis so i went to the market a few times and recorded sounds but also in connection with the with the visual part and and then i took a photo of a stall that is 
looks like a Latin American store where they sell different kind of Latin American toys and things, right? And then I also took a photo of uh, of another stall from Nepal. And I, as I, when I was coding, I was just looking at these two look alike. They look like sort of similar at the same, right? Like in terms of visual things. So I went back to the market, and in the market, I I, I look again at the la, at the Latinx, Latino things, and then I look, I took photos, blah blah blah. Went back to the drawing board, and I wanted to code by what is this Latin America? Should I code it by Latinx, uh, Latino? And then I said, no, this is difficult to me, as you mentioned, the struggles of trying to put uh, binaries or or labels to things is is so difficult. So what I did, I went back. To the, to the Latino, Latin, I coded by Latinx to make things easier for me. But I went back and it's funny because I, I found a person who, who owns the stall is from Ecuador in Latin America and he speaks Spanish. But as I was having the conversation, I wanted to code, should I code this for Ecuadorian or Andean or Latinx? And I, it, that's the difficult, but the beauty about this was like his friends, with the Nepali guy from the stall. And he was telling me uh, stories about how they have discussed how their cultures are sort of similar in terms of patterns and shapes and belief systems and things like that. So it got me thinking, man, this is not only one thing. It's so complicated because you cannot isolate one language, one culture in just and put a label into this. So you have to go in depth into the situation and this particular situation that I wanted to label Latinx ended up not an, a thing, but in relation to the Nepali guy. So as you can imagine, your question is a very interesting one because although I go to the field with no intention to be specific to record anything, but with curiosity and open mind to imagine, so imagine like it's a grounded theory approach that are, what are the sounds and what are the sounds bringing to you in terms of um, these relationships that I'm talking about. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's really interesting. And I think it like gives us insight also into how when we code data, right, it's of course always reducive. So it's, it's really nice to see how your data forces you to rethink also how we do that work in a way. That's that's really nice. Do you want to take us uh, with you in, in the field and kind of tell us a little bit how you do it? So you're going there with your microphone, you record what you hear, how you, how do you decide where you start, where you stop the data collection? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's another interesting, uh, you know, like question why, because, you know, in qualitative and quantitative data, or when we learn about research in general in undergrad or graduate studies, master's PhDs, they tell us the process, right? They tell us the, the how to do it. They one, two, three, four, like all of these very objective ways of doing things, right? Like first you do this, second, third, and fourth, and that's because that's how science supposed to be in from a positivist point of view. However, I don't necessarily do things in this way, not to be reactionary about that sort of way of doing things. Like I said before, I am more like a... Um, on the ground researcher that I want these elements to come. So to answer your question, yes, I now I got my professional recorder because I want to record the very the most little tiny sounds. 
put on my headphones and I purposely, I say, I'm going to start at this corner, whatever corner it is that I pre-decide. And then I'm start, and I start walking randomly. Right. And then I, when I'm hearing things that I, that I think I find it important, like somebody speaking in particular language or some sound that is particularly interesting, like, like, like a, a car or a carriage or a piece of music, then I start uh, getting closer to that to get more a sense of what it is. So that's how it starts. And other ways I have purposely prepared myself and then walk the street or the city the day before and pay attention. And then in my mind, I took out my map or sometimes on my notebook, I, I say, okay, I'm going to trace this. And then this is the, the, the path that I'm going to follow because I already been there and these are the places that I want to go. And also because I want to record places that are, that have a lot of people or a, a lot of commotion and those are, I pick them specifically for that. And then I get on the, get, get my recorder and start walking, paying attention to those sounds and going through that. Then I finish. Then I, when I finish, I turn off the recorder and then I took, take out my, my notebook. And then I start writing reflections on what happened. And then I go to the computer, download the, the, the audio. And then I re, re listen, I guess, re, or listen again. And start making more notes and of particular items that are important to me in terms of language or culture or language and culture connections and so on and so forth. Trying trying to code, and that's when I in my comment earlier is it's hard to try to find the coding part. And and then because I have also taken photos, then I try to connect the photos with the sounds and and try to come up with some themes or ideas through the process. Mm, so that's a really rich and a really long process as well, right? Like many, many steps, but not not the kind of steps that, that maybe we hear in method school, like step one, step two. But I really like how so much preparation as well and then you in the field and, and those yeah, reflective notes as well and such. Um, do you integrate nature in what you think are soundscape or because there are lots of discussion about that, right? That our, lots of our work is very much human centered, very. Um, so is that something that comes into play when we think of the diversity or do you think of diversity from a human centered viewpoint? No, that's, that's a very important uh, question because this is something that I hope to integrate a little bit more as I develop my theory of pluriversal applied linguistics, which is our relationships with other humans and non-humans, you know, the land, the water, the rocks, plants, etc., rivers, all of those sorts of things. But with this particular project, this is beyond the scope of the current research, but something that I eventually I will bring more in the near future as I have conversations with you and others who have also helped me out to understand that the city is not only the markets and the streets, you know, the urban streets, but also the parks, the birds, the dogs, and those sounds are other forms of language or other forms of language gene or other forms of uh, interrelating with other non-human beings. And I think this is a, this is where I'm, heading now after this particular project of Sounds of the Diversity, it's moving into the diversity is, is, is accommodating or including all beings, not only human beings with their languages and their cultures, but, the, but uh, as I was saying earlier, sometimes I walk in the little park or, or path 
the net natural path that I have here in the city and I hear and I pause for a second and I hear the birds and the water streams and sometimes the wind that, that hits the trees, you know, all of those things are important. And somebody asked me, but that's not language. And I said, I mean, the fact that it's not English or Spanish or French, it doesn't mean that it's not language, but it's, I argue is language gene and it's sort of nature, nature having a conversation with you and, the good and the bad thing, not it's not a bad thing, but some people may seem like I am being so esoterical and spiritualist and sort of like that. And I say, maybe we need more of this. Maybe we need more relationship with nature and languaging, meaning having a conversation with nature and say the the nature has a language, meaning a language to communicate. So that's when I'm going in the near future into that direction. Mm, well, something to look to look forward to. Yeah, I think that's really, really important. And also somehow made me think again of what you said at first when you were talking about what you're looking for, but also like what is missing, for instance, whether some languages are not talked, you know. So this idea that in some parts of the city you're going to hear a lot of the birds, but in other pla parts nature is just absent and that this idea that it's normal as well that the city is not is not nature and i think that's yeah tells a lot right about our um our views as well um um i'm wondering when you look at the soundscapes so i guess you're focusing on the production meaning like where the sounds come from and what they are do you also look at how people react to sounds whether they're you know, happy, challenged, uh, curious, or because the, the way we react to sounds or like smells, for instance, all those other senses, it's really important in a way in how we feel in the city. So I wonder if that's something, or is that again for <laughs> for the future maybe? No, it is It is now, but also it, like, it, this is just what I'm doing right now is now, but it, the, the near future is going into that direction. In some of my work, I talk about the data, you know, the participants, and how the participants affect me uh, sometimes. And I want to be more human in my research. I want to recognize my own subjectivity. And I'm not looking for being that objective researcher, quite the opposite. I want to be more human. And as you mentioned, feel and sense the data. And a good example of this is when I was recording. This is a great example of what I'm talking about. When I was, re you know, I do walking methodology, meaning I walk and I record. So as I record, and because I'm using this sensitive recorder, so I'm hearing my own steps, like walking. Right? And then for me, that's exactly that I, as a researcher, I belong to the world. I am with the world. I am in relation with the world, with the streets, with people. And that's a proof because I can hear myself, but I can hear others in the same sort of spectrum. But the most beautiful one, going back to that romantic, spiritual, esoteric kind of uh, take that I want to take on this, is this, when I, I can hear my breath, like... <sighs> You know, like I could hear it like, and it also depends when I walk in fast or slow, or sometimes I remember one day that I was excited about listening a particular song somewhere in the distance. I could hear that my breath was going a little bit faster in meaning that I wanted to get there as soon as possible. So I was walking and I was like, <sighs> but then I was like, <sighs> like you can hear that, but also in a sense, I could hear even my, my, my heartbeat. And that's when I theorized that the city is alive. I am alive. And the city is like a heartbeat. It has uh, its own rhythm, right? And, uh, and Lefebvre, I was reading the book, Lefebvre book, 
and I will talk about it in the end, on rhythm, rhythm analysis, I forgot how to pronounce it, but, but then he talks about how the city is alive and the, re, the city has its own rhythm. And because I feel the rhythm and that's where I'm going. And the smells, you talk about the smells exactly there. I go to spaces and you smell and those smells literally transport me into back home, the spices that my mom used to use when when she was cooking when I was a child. So imagine that all of these conversations started with the sound, but it connects with the visual, but also with the sensory parts of who we are. And that's when I'm moving into that direction of all of this to me is the essence of the pluriverse or the pluriversal uh, applied linguistics, uh, um, our connections in between languages, cultures, and our own senses and memories. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great to hear. I really like the part where you said that you you hear yourself, right? So you like you hear, but you see yourself in a way in the data because a lot of the time we are invisibilized as as researchers. So it's even if we ask questions in interviews, we tend to forget about them and focus on what the participants are saying. Or so that's wow, that is really really refreshing. I think. Um, I think you've already. Uh, talked a bit about how in a way through that work it really aligns with what you've done before in terms of social justice and in rethinking and relearning methodologies but is there something that you want to add maybe about that yeah i think a couple of few ideas is like i'm glad that right now qualitative research is moving into new directions now moving away from positivist approaches in which the researcher was, as you mentioned, separated from the participants to remain objective. And as such, I personally, intentionally look to work and highlight what happens, especially in the marginalized community. So in a sense, I hope that the work that I do somehow highlights those who have never been seen or or heard before, right? Working with the soundscapes of their diversity, taught me that communities that have been neglected or communities that have been at the margins are also part of this community or the city and their ways of being and doing need to be highlighted and celebrated. Like the example that I gave you about the the Ecuadorian and the Nepali guy, I was like, these are things that, that, that we need to know a little bit more. They are here. They are in the city. Their cultures are here. There is also a stall about the Turkish and they, they sell Turkish delights. They say Turkish lamps. And then if you take a little moment, anybody, and just stay there for a moment and admire the visuals of the lamps and take a little of those streets and take them, you will be literally transported to Istanbul, for example. But if you go deeper and talk to the person who owns the stall, you start having conversations about where the person is coming from and stories. So what I invite audience from a social justice perspective is engaging conversations with the other, with those who you probably would never listen to or talk to otherwise, unless you take some time and talk to them. And that's what I learned from this experience that by listening, by, by looking and by paying attention to these things, I invite folks there to go there and talk to other people from other cultures and countries and languages and learn from there because that is the only way we can actually um, uh, level the playing field for everybody. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I know that reminds me of this idea of doing like slow research as well. I think that's really nice to kind of take the time also to not rush to, to things and listen to others. Really nice. Um, you've mentioned a couple of, well, you've mentioned many concepts. You've mentioned the work of Lefebvre. Uh, are there some other authors in particular who have guided you in, in this work? Yeah, absolutely. I think I that, thank you for that question, because a lot of people don't <laughs> in conversations, we don't talk about those who have inspired us. But I think generally my main research inspirations coming from um, the work of uh, Linda Twenny Smith, the colonizing methodologies, but also uh, Dr. Wilson, he has a book on research ceremony, indigenous research methodologies. And those two particular uh, books have sort of been my quote unquote Bible to me to understand how can I do things in a different way that helps and understand the, the communities that we don't pay attention much. But also, um, Sean Wilson talks about research ceremony that if you have not been impacted by your research, then you have not done research right. Something along those lines. So for me, it's like research has to have some impact on yourself, but also on the communities you work. And from the sound perspective, there there is Walter Gershon who talks about sound pedagogies and teacher education. And of course, Lefebvre, the production of a space, Lefebvre uh, writings in city on cities, and the ones that are my favorite one is Lefebvre read and read. I have a hard time to do this one. Read rhythm analysis, space time, and everyday life. Those are some of my favorite ones. And Massey for space are great to talk about that ones. And most recently, the, the work of Sarah Pink doing visual ethnography, doing sensory ethnography and designing ethnography and research responsibilities and futures. And that's where I'm at. How can we envision a future in which research accommodates and acknowledges emotions, feelings, memories, smells, all of these things that I think that's what, that's where I want to go into the near future that a lot of research don't, don't accommodate these things because they don't think this is actual research or scientific mm -hmm. research. Yeah, yeah, because it's not measurable enough, right? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, very interesting. Thanks a lot for all those great recommendations. Um, time flies and we're getting to the end of, of today's episode and I always finish with a more personal and more playful question. So this is your turn, Yesid. Would you tell us what is your favorite city and what makes it your favorite city? Well, as I was going through the question, I was just thinking that this is a very complicated question. I have traveled around the world to many places and it's hard to say uh, because I have found all the cities have something unique from concrete urban cities such as, such as Chicago and Toronto, where I live for a long time, uh, chaotic Mexico City and Bogota, where I was born, to organized cities such as Oslo, Helsinki, or even Ivascula, you know, very cute, small city, you know. But I guess the city that stole my heart was Istanbul in Turkey. I really felt the vibe there, the market, the spices, the spaces, the streets, the diversity of those spaces, the people, the sounds. Uh, and one thing that I really liked that I didn't like in the beginning It was the prayers at various times of the day, especially sometimes at 5 a.m. in the morning. The very first day, I was like, what is this sound that is waking me up at 5 a.m. in the morning? And is the, there is a, like a megaphone with these prayers. 
and I learned to do, I learned to love them. And I, now I sort of mix, where is the guy, you know, praying in the morning and all the connected smells, the sounds, the memories that I created in relation. I, I bought a few souvenirs. So, so every time I, I use my little glass for tea, I pour my tea here in Belfast. And then as I am drinking my tea, I, it reminds me of those streets when I would sit down and uh, the guys would come here and serve the Turkish tea. So I really like that, those memories, all part of cultural linguistics ecosystem. So I see this, all of these like an ecosystem in which I hope to delve more into that. Like I said, I, I keep working on this idea of universal applied linguistics and how languages and cultures are sort of interwoven, right? Like with who we are, our relationships, even our this podcast is the product of our relationships. Meaning when I met you, before I knew I wanted to talk to you because of the work that you do in the cities and race. And when I met you in the Vascula, so that started that, that, that sort of relationship. And I'm interested in that, interested in relationships and how we can create and be more human and how all of these relationships make us feel human in connection with others. Well, thanks a lot, Yasid, for, for joining today and for it was really, really great to hear how the project goes and how it connects so much to everything you've done before and everything well you hope to do in the future as well. But uh, it was really, really interesting. Thanks a lot. Um, and thank you all for listening. Thank you for the invitation. Have a wonderful rest of the day or week and year. Bye.